Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Welcome everybody. It's wonderful to see such a lovely crowd here for our lunchtime talk. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Julie Robinson. I'm the Senior Curator of Prints, Drawings and Photographs at the Gallery and I'm the lead curator for this exhibition of Andy Warhol. Firstly, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, the Ghana people, and to pay my respects to their elders from the past, in the present and into the future. So in today's talk, I'd like to give you an overview of the exhibition. So firstly, the artist Andy Warhol is one of the most influential artists of the 20th century and he's particularly famous as a leading American pop artist of the 1960s. And I guess most of you are aware of that aspect of his practice. But he was much more than that. And in this exhibition, I, we are seeking to provide a fresh perspective on him as an artist by looking at his engagement with photography right throughout his career. And this exhibition is the first exhibition in Australia to do that. It's also an exhibition that is revealing AGSA's collection of Warhol's photographs for the first time. And we have 45 photographs by him in the collection. And they've been acquired in the last 10 years. So we're very proud of this aspect of our collection. So I'll firstly perhaps explain a little bit about the title of the exhibition, Andy Warhol and Photography, A Social Media. And the origins of that title really came from me researching his photographic practice and looking at many, many images and learning more about the way he worked with photography and coming to the conclusion that it was a very collaborative and social practice. Now, that is actually uh, very much in keeping with his practice in general, if you know anything about his, his screen printing and everything he did, his studio being called a factory, there were many people involved in, um, in making his art. But the idea of a social media is also connected to the way he was attuned to the power of photography to shape self-image. And although he was working decades before social media of today, and he was working with analog technologies, old cameras, his obsession with photographing himself and photographing his life, the look of his photographs, very much seems to preempt the social media of today. And I think there's a similar motivation. And in fact, some of his associates um, who've been asked about this, say that, yes, if he was alive today, he would be very much into social media. He would be on to the very latest things the moment that came out. Christopher Marcos, some of you may have heard him speak when he was here two weeks ago. He described him as the Kim Kardashian of his time. <laughs> now, there are three aspects to Warhol's photographic practice that are explored in this exhibition, and they're all concurrent because really photography was fundamental to everything that he did. And firstly, you will see throughout the exhibition photography as part of his working method for, created, for creating screen printed paintings and works on paper. 
And the screen printing process involves taking a small photograph and then enlarging it and transferring it onto a silk screen so that then it can be printed. I will give you um, one example in this room and when you have time, when we, we finish this talk, of course we have here this beautiful wall of Marilyn Monroe screen prints and if you're wondering how, you know, this is based on a photographic image and if um, you have time afterwards, have a look in this showcase because we have there the exact photograph that he used to create this image. And it's a publicity photograph for the film Niagara. And what's great about it is you can see his crop marks that he's put on the photograph so he knows exactly which part of the image he wants to use for his finished work of art. And that photograph has come to us from the Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh and I'm so thrilled that we have it here today. The second aspect of his photography that you're going to see throughout the exhibition is photographs taken by Warhol himself which were created as an end in their own right. And you will see uh, many examples of these as you go through the exhibition, but particularly the black and white photographs by Warhol as you wander through. And then you will see also the third aspect is for, um, photographs taking, taken by other photographers working in his circle, so in his photographic circle. They were working alongside him, they were collaborating with him. As I said, it's a very collaborative practice. And in their photographs, Warhol was frequently the subject of the photographs. And he often had a role in directing what those photographs would look like. You will see as you go throughout the exhibition that his photographic collaborators change over time. And there's a few key moments where that changes. So now I'll, I'll just look into these three ideas a little bit further and with some more examples from the exhibition. So really, from the beginning of Warhol's career, photography was really important as a source material for his art. And that included, particularly in the early stages of his career, using found photos. And that's a rather strange expression, but it means photographs from magazines, from newspapers, or as we said, publicity stills that he, um, he wrote away and got from studios advertisements, etc. And they were often of movie stars and he could then crop them and turn them into images as screen prints and transform them. As well as the example of Marilyn here, you have on the, the back wall there the, the example of Elvis Presley and the original photograph that that was based on from a movie called Flaming Star. Sometimes he had friends take photographs for him. So right next to the portrait of Elvis is a portrait taken by Warhol's friend Edward Wallowich, was an early friend of his in the 1950s. And it's of a young man leaning against a wall, a very James Dean-esque sort of pose. And Warhol worked very closely with Wallowich as the photographer and used his photographs as the basis of many of his works including the beautiful gold book that is um, on the wall at the back there of the, the room, and also the Campbell soup cans. So Edward Wallowich was the photographer who took, you know, th these, these photographs of Campbell soup cans. In 1969, 
Warhol took up colour Polaroid photography. And this really changed the source material for his screen prints and his paintings from then on. Throughout the 1970s, he created suites of screen prints. Um, and you'll see some examples here, like Ladies and Gentlemen, this fabulous series here, Mick Jagger, just around the corner. He also worked on commissioned portraits and studio portraits. So you see some great examples of Liza Minnelli, Debbie Harry, and in the final room, Henry Gillespie and Lottie Smorgan. And in each of these cases, he's worked from his tiny Polaroids that he created himself. And particularly when he was working on, say, a studio portrait, the great benefit of Polaroid photography was it was so instantaneous. So he would take about 60 or more uh, Polaroids of the sitter, different poses, and then they came out of the camera straight away and then they put them out on the table and together they looked at them and decided which one was going to be the one to be turned into a screen print. And in every case, um, the sitters say, oh, and he asked me which one, but he was really pointing me to which one it should be. So Warhol knew. It seemed like he was collaborating, but he knew. But these, these sessions were also, like, this really fascinating, these studio portrait sessions too, for the collaborative nature of it, these sessions. Warhol would be there with his camera, his Polaroid, um, snapping away, and I should say, the particular Polaroid that he loved to use for his um, studio portraits was called a big shot. And this is an example of it just around the corner. It was only in production for about three years, but it was perfect for him because all you had to do was stand one metre away from the person and then you got a perfect portrait. There was no fiddling around with buttons and so on. When they were out of production, people that knew him started to find them and the Polaroid company would find them so that he had a continuous supply of big shot cameras. Anyway, these, so Warhol would be at his studio session with his big shot camera taking photos. Someone else, one of his assistants maybe, would be taking black and white photo, photographs on Warhol's other camera. There would be any, any number of other photographers in the room taking photographs. In the case of the Debbie Harry um, portrait, her partner, Chris Stein, the guitarist from Blondie, was, who is a well-known photographer, was there taking photographs too. And then you would have videographers there as well. So when you go through and you see the Liza Minnelli portrait and that area there, you'll see that there's also this grainy video known as a factory diary, which shows the moment when her photographs were being taken. So there was this, instead of this idea of an artist in his studio taking one photo and it's the sitter and the artist, it's just many people, it's very social, uh, an amazing situation. And of course, look out when you see the Liza Minnelli um, studio portrait because there's a whole backstory to that day and you'll see that that's the day when Liza Minnelli met John Lennon for the first time and it's all captured in photographs. Warhol said it was a great thrill to be there when two stars or two celebrities met for the first time. During the 1960s, his own photographs, so we've talked about photographs as source material, but his own photographs, during the 1960s, there were very few 
photographs that you would call photographs as an end in their own right. We have a couple of examples in the first room of photo booth photographs, those tiny little ones from those uh, retro photo booths, and we've got one that you can use yourself in Gallery 25. Now, we all know that he didn't press the button on <laughs> in those booths, but he, he is considered the photographer for those works because he would take the, the sitter, his friends or whoever it was, down to a photo booth in Times Square and he would have a bag of coins and just keep feeding coins in and giving them instructions on how to pose for the photo booth. Some of these were... Um, a small proportion were turned into finished paintings, as in he used the little photo booth portrait to become a screen print. But quite a lot of them were just done for fun and um, they exist as his photographs. But at the time in the 60s, his time behind the camera was really behind a movie camera because he considered himself from the mid-60s a, well, a, a filmmaker and he became a leading underground filmmaker of that period. His films are interesting and they, they cover same of the, some of the same sort of motivations as found in his still photography right throughout his career. As in, his films often uh, used, well, they did, they, he used his friends uh, and associates as the actors. So it wasn't trained actors. And they were often shot in his studio. They rarely had a script, so it was about, oh, we've got a theme for this film, um, you guys improvise on, on what we're going to do. And you see uh, a good, two good examples of that in this space behind here, the film Haircut, which is a silent film, so no script required, but quite amazing film, and the film here called Camp, where they were all uh, improvising on the idea of camp. But really, Warhol's engagement with photography throughout, still photography throughout the 1960s was really through the many, many photographers that um, were drawn to his studio and took photographs of him, his activities, and some of them even followed him uh, further afield. And foremost amongst them was a photographer called Billy Name. His, his real name was Billy Linich, but um, for some reason he changed his name to Billy Name. And in 1964, Warhol had bought a 35mm camera intending to use it for himself, but he, after a couple of weeks, and he decided there were far too many um, things to adjust and could go wrong, he gave the camera to Billy and he said, you can be the photographer now, Billy. And Billy learnt to use the camera. He had a dark room at the back of the factory he slept at the factory. He was sort of like legendary at the factory. But he captured um, everything that was going on. And as well as Billy, there were many other photographers that came there to um, document the goings-on at this factory. Now, the factory was a social space. The silver-coloured walls, which we've replicated here and in the original factory um, from 1964 to 68, that was created by Billy Name. So it was a place where people gathered, it was a place where parties were held, and so um, it was a place where the films were um, filmed, including many of the screen tests that you see in the previous room. And the photographers all came as part of this. And sometimes they were journalists, sometimes they were photographers who, you know, Warhol hoped that 
they might um, publish the photos and help to make his art practice a bit more well-known, him a bit more famous. There's one photographer called David McCabe who you will see um, with various images around. Warhol actually asked him to be a photographer for him for one year, from 19, middle of 1964 to middle of 1965. McCabe's role was to go everywhere when he was asked and be surreptitiously um, taking photos when he got the nod. And there's one photograph in that um, first room where you see Salvador Dali and Warhol together. It's quite a surreal photograph. And Warhol's wearing this uh, strange headdress that Dali plonked on his head. And David McCabe was there on that day and recorded the whole encounter. One of the things that brought all of this wonderful period of the 60s for Warhol to the end was in 1968 he was shot and he was very close to death. He was in hospital for a good two months and that really changed his outlook on life and his artistic practice. The person that shot him was a woman called Valerie Solanas. There is a, uh, she's in one of the portraits, uh, one of the photographs in this room here. You can see her. She was an actress that appeared in one of his films. A actress, it's a loose use of the term for any of Warhol's actors and actresses. But she, she also had some mental health problems and developed this idea of the society for cutting up men and for some reason felt that she had to uh, shoot Warhol. He had somehow... Uh, you know, offended her, done something wrong. So he, she, she had access to the factory and went up there and shot him. When he recovered physically, well, he didn't quite recover. He, he was left with scars on his torso for the rest of his life and he had to wear a corset for the rest of his life. Um, when I was at the Warhol Museum a few years ago, they've got these great archives there and it include hundreds of corsets and Warhol's friend Bridget Berlin um, dyed them all pretty colours for him so that he had many coloured corsets that he could wear. But you see some examples in the photographs in this room and the next room of Warhol's scars which he carried with him. What did that mean for his artistic practice? Well, he, he gave up being the filmmaker. He, his films continued under his name, but Paul Morrissey took on the role in running that film program, and he retreated a bit. He also, of course, made a lot more, you know, his factory became a lot more secure, with less people hanging around. He was more conscious of who came and went there. And at this period of his life, he turned to Polaroid photography as a new outlet for his creative um, uh, photographic sort of impulses. So instead of making films, he turned to Polaroid photography. And he was taking, uh, in doing that, he was inspired by his friend Bridget Berlin. She was his great uh, collaborator on pho uh, Polaroid photography. She was already doing it. She's quite an amazing, obsessive documenter of her life and he took on the same sort of role. And you'll see in this next room some great examples of Bridget Berlin's Polaroids as well as Warhol's Polaroids. And he started to just document his everyday life. 
Polaroids were not so successful for doing that. I mean, they're small photos, they're unique, and they're very vulnerable to fading. So when in, uh, but I would say that in the early 70s, he did exhibit some of those as works of art. He exhibited alongside Bridget Berlin and Robert Mapplethorpe in 1973. There's no real record of what they showed, there is, um, but you know, they were intending them as works of art. But in 1976, his photographic practice changed as in the look of the photographs, but not the idea behind them. So in 1976, he came across a new camera when he was travelling in Europe, and it was a little 35mm um, camera that sort of almost instamatic camera, not quite, but very few settings, very simple to use, and he put, used black and white film, and this point in time, 1976 onwards, he began to just obsessively take um, rolls and rolls of film every day. And uh, after he died, he died unexpectedly in 1987, there was, and they started to sort out his estate, they found some 60,000 photographs in his estate. And these were interesting because they're all unique. They were unique photos. We only have two examples of his edition photos, and I'll explain about those in a moment, but the rest of them, the thousands of them, were unique. Um, so he was, um, he was capturing his friends, his social group and celebrities in private moments, candid photos, and in 1979 decided to publish them together, or some of these photos, in a book. And that sort of announced to the world that I'm a photographer, here's my photographs in a book. And they were lots and lots of famous people. When he was working on this project of black and white photography, that's when he came to know Christopher Marcos, and together they worked collaboratively on creating these photographs. Christopher would arrange for the films to be developed, he'd get the contact sheets, they'd look at them together, and you'll see some examples and a great um, enlargement too, where they circle a few images and identify which ones are going to get printed up. And that became his photographic oeuvre. At the time when he uh, created the book Exposures, and there's an um, example of that in the showcase, he talked about his philosophy on photography, and it was, my idea of a good photograph is one that's in focus and of a famous person doing something unfamous. It's about being in the right place at the wrong time. And as you uh, wander through the exhibition and you look at the uh, works in this next room and the room after, you will see the works that epitomise what he was talking about there. I have to say, not always were they in focus, but he was there about capturing a moment and capturing the spontaneous, spontaneous nature of that moment rather more so than having a perfect photograph. He also talked at that time that his favourite photographer, and this was t totally out of step with um, perhaps how fine art photography and was developing at that time, Warhol said his favourite photographer was Ron Galella, who was a New York paparazzi photographer, who was mainly not very popular with New York celebrities. He had many court cases against him, he was always in their face, but he got the photos. And Warhol just loved it because Galella was there amongst the celebrities and getting these um, in interesting photos. And often, uh, and there are two, three examples of Ron Galella's photographs in the next room too. 
and often Galella and Warhol would be there at the same time at the same events photographing. But the interesting thing was uh, the celebrities, you know, didn't like Galella being there, but they were very happy to have um, Warhol there because he was always had his camera out, but they just thought, oh, that's just him. You know, he's just taking his photos. That's just what he does. And they knew that they weren't going to turn up in the papers the next day, although they have turned up on gallery walls years later. <laughs> but in 1980, based on uh, after he'd, he'd made this book, Exposures, where he'd sort of announced himself as a photographer, he... He, had, he made two portfolios of additioned photographs. And these portfolios were following in the footsteps of his editions of screen-printed portfolios. And he thought that this was the way of the future. He would make these photographic portfolios. They weren't, I think, they weren't bestsellers. And in 1980, like, the status of photography in the art world was different to it is now. And so they weren't accepted as much as works of art, unfortunately. But what is great is that we have, in this exhibition, both of those portfolios on display. So you see that full range of his published photographic work in this exhibition. And both of those portfolios were published by Bruno Bischofberger from Switzerland, his, his um, art dealer in Switzerland. And I'm very grateful that one of them, we, we, the AGSA owns one of the portfolios of 12, and Bruno Bischofberger has kindly lent us the other portfolio of 40 photographs. And that's where you will see all the famous faces, Muhammad Ali, Lou Reed, you know, Elizabeth Taylor, you name it, uh, presidents, writers, Truman Capote, etc. All of the famous faces of the day were in this portfolio because they really wanted it to sell, so they filled it with celebrities. And Bruno Bischofberger has written a bit about Warhol's photographic practice because he knew it quite well. And he talked about Warhol using photography as a visual diary. And that's what you see as you walk through. While you walk through the exhibition and you see photographs by Warhol, think about that idea of a visual diary. Because as much as they're a photograph of Muhammad Ali, they're also telling you that Warhol was there and was visiting Muhammad Ali and what was the nature of that um, exchange. Warhol exhibited um, very few... I just got to... Oh, I didn't bring my... What's the time? Warhol exhibited very few of his um, photographs during his lifetime. I've talked about briefly, the Polaroids in 1974. The only other exhibition, uh, 73 and 74, the only other exhibition was right uh, just before he died, right at the end of his life, in 1987, at Robert Miller Gallery in New York. And at that point in time, he displayed stitched photographs. And you'll see some great examples of them at the end of the exhibition. And literally, he was returning to the idea of multiples that started with him in the 60s, where he repeated the same image. And he literally stitched the photographs together with a sewing machine. So you would have four photographs sewn together, or in some instances, you'd have six photographs sewn together, etc. And this is an idea that he got from um, Christopher Marcos, like they collaborated on because Christopher's mother had been a seamstress and there was a sewing machine at home and as a child he had sewn paper together. You know, he said, you know, 
why don't you explore this idea? You're known for your multiples and you could sew them together. And it was very successful. It was a new direction, perhaps, for his photography, which we could only uh, imagine where it might have led to if he hadn't passed away about six weeks later. It seemed to be that it was suddenly a way of turning all of these photographs that he'd been taking into something that was a different sort of work of art, a unique work of art. And then I might just briefly talk about the final rooms of the exhibition, which are about self-image, which include, and, and his image, which include photographs by other photographers from that period, including Christopher Marcos, um, where he was, uh, and he has talked about this series called Altered Image, which of Warhol photographs with a woman's wig and makeup, and what they were trying to achieve with that. But there's also, at that period of his life, Warhol was interested, so in the 1980s, he was interested in being a model. And he was also, an, for Christopher Marcos, a muse. And so there's many photographs, as well as the studio sessions, there's many photographs of Warhol just um, on holidays or out and about and posing for Christopher Marcos. And then the exhibition ends with uh, a wonderful self-portrait that's in the National Gallery of Victoria's collection. And that was in a big exhibition from 1986, just again the year before he died, where the whole exhibition was self-portraits. So this idea of repetition and multiples that you find in pop art was recurring at that time. And I guess it had quite, now that we look at it and know how close it was to his um, death, there has, it sort of has a, a more of a memento mori feel to that portrait, you know. It's sort of prefiguring, um, and, and because it's a disembodied head too, it seems to float in space. It's a very uh, unusual portrait with a camouflage pattern that's trying to conceal as much as it reveals. But really, what you see through the exhibition is, I think, as you wander through, you're going to get the bigger portrait of Warhol. So the whole exhibition, in a way, becomes a portrait of Warhol whether he's behind the camera or in front of the camera, is telling you something about him as a person, his life, his times, New York of the 70s and 80s or the 60s. I think, I hope that when you leave the exhibition, you come out with a fresh perspective on this uh, very well-known artist. And I might finish my spiel there. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy the exhibition.